2 Samuel 9, 1 through 8. David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Machir, son of Amuel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Amuel. When Mesibethesh, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? All right. Thanks a lot. Hey, it's good to see you guys. And some of you I haven't seen in like a very, what's going, what's going on? How are you guys? I'm just going to draw attention to each individual person that I see here. Everyone look at them. Everyone look at them. It's really good. It's really good to see you guys. We, uh, we were putting all the chairs back this morning. And it was a little therapeutic. It was nice. We're just like, okay, all right, all right, moving forward. Um, so we, we, did, uh, we did get together as a governing board and talked for a long time about, like, what do we do? What does this look like? Because we've always said we're trying to follow CDC guidelines. How do we sort of move forward? We've got a lot of people who aren't quite vaccinated, even on our staff, who are just in the waiting period now and stuff like that. Um, so we have a plan uh, to get us back to normal and a timeline here. So I'm going to lay that out for you now. I actually didn't make any, uh, any visuals. My bad. We're, we're going to post this um, on the website. We're going to put it out on social media. We're going to send out an email. This is all going to be detailed there. But starting Sunday, June 6th, um, if you are vaccinated on June 6th, uh, you're, you're good. You're free to take off your mask, and uh, mask is optional if you're vaccinated. If you're not, please continue to wear it, and that's it, until you are, um, uh, or until, they just, until the CDC changes their guidelines. Um, and so that's starting June 6th, so that is what, two Sundays from now? Um, RSVPs are going to continue for a while. Um, we were trying to figure out, like, do you let people in first, or do you do, you do the mask thing first? We opted to let more people in last, so we can sort of slowly build this thing up because we don't even have enough staff to run everything at the moment. Uh, we're trying to get people in place. We're looking for like who's going to run different departments, hospitality and stuff like that. So we're in all these talks right now um, and we're going to work all that out and that's coming, but we're not going to begin raising the RSUP. I think it's right now at like 150, maybe 200. It's it fit a lot of people right now um, and nice and spread out. So uh, capacity is going to be raised to 200, I think for now. Uh, yeah, starting June 6th. At 200. Um, and then the prayer room over here, we have a room right there with a little window, like the fishbowl. Um, that's going to become sort of a, a space for people who aren't feeling great about being in the room. Like you walk in and it's a little overwhelming. Like we're going to set that space aside for you. There's speakers in there. You can hear everything. We're going to take the tent off that window so you can see clearly out here. The mommy room is now over there. So we don't need the tents on that window. So you can hang out in there and it'll be sort of a space where you can like breathe. If, if you are a person who is... Uh, 
uh, immunocompromised. That's, that's going to be like a mask-only room back there for people who just need to escape for a minute. Um, and we're going to make some signs and a series of announcements uh, that, that basically lay all this out for everyone. Um, outdoor events, though, right now, if you're outside, yeah, you're good. Take it off. The CDC said that a while ago. So um, we're trying to line up with all that. That's the plan. June 6th, uh, masks are optional if you're vaccinated on June 6th. And after that, we're going to slowly start raising the cap as we can staff everything again. Um, and I hope everybody watching online who is within driving distance, um, I hope you will consider sort of joining us as we, uh, as we, as we move towards this. Don't settle into staying in bed and what, that's not church. That's content. That's all that is. And I'm not a content creator. I'm a pastor. I'm not going to pastor you over the internet. I'm not interested. Um, so please, um, Consider the part that you play, that you did play before, that maybe you could pick up again and run with if you have new ideas about how we can uh, organize some stuff and streamline. We're all ears. Email us, governingboard at watermarktampa.com. And for those of you who emailed, like I got a ton of emails last week about people like, I can serve here, I can serve here. Thank you very much. That's awesome. And we're going to be, I know you may not have gotten a reply yet. You may have, but you may not have. And if you haven't, just know that we did get it and we put it in a pile. Uh, we're separate in them all and we're going to be reaching out to everybody who emailed us about serving. And if you're interested in serving still, Email governingboard at watermarktampa.com and just say, hey, I can park cars, I can make coffee, I can cut donuts, I can go like this on the slides back there with one finger. You've got to really, really focus, but you can do that. Um, and then, uh, so that's it. That's our plan. That's what we're working towards. Um, so the end is in sight. And uh, I appreciate all of you. I appreciate that, like, walking through this with us. It's, uh, we're getting there. And uh, Mike... <laughs> Kids. We were watching TV the other day, and my 10-year-old daughter was like, Daddy, they're not wearing masks. And I said, baby, this is a movie from when I was a kid. She was like, yeah. When did you, why didn't they wear masks? And I was like, I, okay, just so you know, this is my first pandemic. This is your first. Mimi, Faye, and Pops, this is their first pandemic. This is everyone alive right now. It's our first. So they don't get this. They think it's like, ah, I got, I'm just going to have it ready. Okay. But, um, okay, so. Now, as for the weird text I gave you today, that's today's text. We've been in Acts for, honestly, like two years. <laughs> it was never meant to go this long, but it always does. But, like, stuff happened. So we've been going through the book of Acts, and you may not have noticed, but I've been sneaking in a, um, a sub-sermon series of the fruits, on the Spirit, fruits of the Spirit, right? Okay, I've been doing that as well. If you didn't pick up on it, recently we did patience, right? Um, today we're sort of talking about the idea of kindness, um, what it is how, uh, what un- unexamined sort of assumptions do we make about the idea of kindness, and we're going to talk about that. Um, and so let's pray, and then let's jump into this. By the way, there's a picnic today, right after this. If you didn't know about that, you're welcome to join us. Go, like, run to Publix, grab some food, and come back. And for some reason, eating outside is beneficial to all of us, to socially, like communally. You can eat, and you can go outside, but eating outside with other people, that's special. I don't know why, but it's a picnic. We call it a picnic. It's a special thing. Join us, and we'll hang out, we'll talk, and catch up. Let's pray. Father, be with us now as we jump into this passage. I pray that uh, you'd be very, very sort of tangible here. We know you're present. We know you are. Um, I pray that right now you would become manifest to those of us in this room. I, I pray that we would see each other, that we would hear each other, that we would lighten the load and the burdens of each other, that we would listen, that we would seriously inquire as to the emotional, physical spiritual health of each other 
and the part that we can play in bringing about whatever healing there needs to take place, or the part that we play in celebrating whatever goodness there is, um, allow us to see each other and, and, and realize that we do belong to each other. Um, expand our sort of horizons today about, uh, about what you are calling us to, about what you are doing in our lives. Um, be very present with us here in an obvious way. Thank you. In your name, amen. Okay, so I've been seeing a lot of, uh, some of you I've seen have masks on the side. They say, be kind. My wife has one of those. Um, I see shirts that say, be kind. There's like this big trend. Let me show you um, this recently. Be kind on the highway, just driving down the road. Um, and so there's this general like, when things get really rough, people just start saying, hey, be kind. Just be kind, right? Like that, this will... If we would all just be kind, right, it would, it would take care of some stuff. And so lately, I mean, I even see, you know, they're saying, like, buy a coffee for the person behind you. And then they run these news stories about, for 48 hours, everyone at the Starbucks drive-thru has paid for the person behind them. And, and then you always get the guy who drives in, I want 12 Frappuccinos. I was like, I'm not paying for that. Um, and then it ends. But, like, this is, like, this phenomenon where people are like, they were, like, really kind to me. And we tell each other, about it. we report on it in the news. Um, we paid a toll for the car behind us. We smile and wave and hold the door for the old lady crossing the street. Or, no, no, you're not help the lady. You don't smile and wave at the old lady crossing the street. You'll walk across with her. Um, but, I, I mean, I even saw, okay, so the other day there was this TikTok thing, a video I saw where, like, this guy, he goes in and, and he, his whole shtick is, I guess, he buys people's groceries. It's like his thing. And he's got like a whole bunch of followers. And he goes in and he, he looks around and uh, I guess he's trying to like categorize people. He's looking for poor people. He's looking for, I guess, the person who looks in his mind as if they would get the most pity and he pays for their groceries. Um, and, and the posts get hundreds of thousands of likes and people comment and say, this is the content I'm on TikTok for. First off, no, it's not. Um, second, like, is this what Paul has in mind? Uh, sometimes kindness, it, it becomes this mutually beneficial thing, right? Like, it, it, uh, it does something for you because I bought your groceries, and also, I have more advertisers now. And I can make money through being kind to you. Um, and so it's not just like, it's not just like that, that fills me up. It's, it's fulfilling in a kind of way where you're meeting somebody's needs. It's not just that's, that's not what we're after. What we're actually after, some kind of financially beneficial sort of exchange that we want to make with each other oftentimes. Um, like they get their groceries paid for, you have a bigger money-making opportunity, and the money, your money shifts to them. And, and so it looks like you did this thing where, you know, your groceries were $350. I pay for those. But then I get thousands back in return from ad space, like I sell on a TikTok. And this is sort of consumer kindness, right? Like there's a, there's a market. <laughs> there's a market for this, for doing one-offs for poor people. Um, and both the giver and the receiver, when this happens, reveals something very profound about some of our, our culture's deepest sort of impulses, First off, neither people in that exchange came to know each other in any way. Neither people in this exchange really fully grasped or understood the actual needs that the other person has. I mean, the person doing the act has just as many needs as the person the act is being done for. And they're trying to have them met, I believe, inappropriately. They're having, trying to have their needs met inappropriately. And they're meeting the needs of the person across the table from them. Also, I would, I would argue inappropriately because it's like putting a Band-Aid 
on a festering wound that's been there for decades. You're not solving the problem. You're not fixing anything. You're not getting to the root of why this woman every week struggles to buy groceries for her family, and two weeks from now, she will continue to struggle to buy groceries for her family, and you're going to move on to the next TikTok victim. Um, We live in a world where everyone is believed to be completely independent, and, and once in a while, we throw a bone to the needy. We call it th- philanthropy. We call it an act of kindness. We, but but the, fa- the fact is, we never lift a finger to actually, this is how Jesus would put it, we never lift a finger to make the load lighter. We don't. We just put something on top. We show up after the fact and do something to soothe Instead of contemplating why it is that we as a community and a society allow impoverished neighborhoods to continue to exist, neighborhoods that are incredibly violent, why we allow this pain to continue for generation after generation after generation, and we just throw a kind act at it once in a while, never fixing it. Is this what Paul had in mind when Paul quotes the fruits of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Is this the kindness Paul is going for? Or is Paul talking about something deeper? Something that actually gets to the root of like what's happening around us in our world. Um, now, of course, I'm not, I'm not saying that I want people to stop doing these things. Um, I think they're good for the soul. I think they build community. I think they build character. Unless you're doing them to be seen. Once... Once people are watching, the exchange doesn't happen the way it normally would. The person doing the giving ends up really being self-aware that like people are watching. This has to be done a certain way. I'm more concerned about how Christians should understand the relationship between these kinds of things and the fruit of kindness that the Spirit nurtures in our lives. Is this what God is nurturing in our lives? Or is kindness, the kindness that grows on the tree of the the person formed by Jesus. Is that kind of kindness something different? So that's what I want to talk about. Kindness, the kindness of God. Um, The kindness of God is a constant recurring theme in the scriptures. Um, It shows up over and over and over again. We see it in the actions of King David. That's that passage I just read. Um, So there's this episode where like there's, if you've been reading, sort of doing your like journey through the Bible this year, you passed Saul a while ago, I would imagine, unless you're like slowing down, in which case it's okay. Perhaps make it a two-year plan. Um, but there's this story right up front in the book of Samuel where King Saul is an angry sort of leader. He's, um, he's paranoid. He is always afraid people are trying to take the throne from him, especially he's paranoid of David, this kid David, and his own son, um, Nathan, who is David's best friend, these intimate, close friends who grew up together. Um, and there's this bond between them, but Saul ends up trying to kill David, and there's this horrible thing. So David runs, and his whole life changes. But eventually, David becomes king after Saul is long gone, and he's dead, and David is king, and David writes to Nathaniel, uh, to Nathan, and he says, Nathan, um, who else is left of the house of Saul? Who is there? I felt like I lived my life without ever actually coming around to showing kindness to them. I feel like I moved through all of this, and sure, I escaped a lot of pain and abuse and all that, but as I look back, I realize there was no kindness, and I realize now that it's not too late. What kindness can I show to Saul's family, the family of the people that tried to kill me? And 
Um, he says, is, is there anyone remaining of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And of course, they find out there's this, there's this handicapped boy named Mephibosheth. Bless me. Um, and Mephibosheth, this is really hard to say, Mephibosheth. Uh, he's struggling and he's handicapped. And, and, and David says, I want you to go get him. I want you to bring him to my table. He's the last remaining descendant of King Saul. And he comes, brings him in, and he says, you are going to sit at my table for the rest of your days. I'm going to take care of everything you need. And this is the only way he can come up with to show kindness to the one who tried to kill him, the one who hated him. There are moments when these Bible characters become Christ-like. It's, it's not a lot, but when it's there, it is there. Um, the kindness that he is showing here is the kindness of God. The Greek word for kindness um, is this word uh, krestos or krestotes. Um, and this word, uh, let's see, what do I have this here? Sometimes it's translated as, as kindness, and other times it's translated as goodness or gentleness, which creates a problem because that aligns with some of the other fruits of the Spirit. But there's a specific idea that's going along with the idea of kindness. Um, in the Hebrew, it's actually the word tov, which we've been talking about. We had our, um, our online session with Dr. Scott McKnight not too long ago, talking about his book that we've been reading um, also, if you haven't read it, go get it. It's called A Church Called Tove. It's about building a, a healthy, good culture in a church. And so one of the fascinating things is, is how those um, outside the church, the early church, viewed the early Christians. Um, because the word kindness, Christos or Christotes, it's very close to the name of, of Christ, Christos. And so oftentimes as the Christians went around and moved through the cities, the people would point at them and they would say, um, oh, there goes, um, what, what, did they, what did they call them? Um, they called them the kind ones. Um, oftentimes people would hear them calling people Christians and they thought they were just calling them the kind ones. Um, and this was manifested in the way that they lived. They were open-handed. They were generous. They were always willing to take people into their house to enter into their household, which is not just like, you don't just stay with somebody for a couple of days, you become one of them. And they were always opening to bring people in. Always. This is, of course, it's, it's not how modern Americans outside of the church tend to view the church today. There ain't nobody out there talking about Christians today as the kind ones. We don't deserve it right now. We haven't for a very long time. Um, but that is God's intention for us to be seen in this way because this is how God is. Okay? Um, and so the kindness of God is a kindness that transforms people by disrupting how they are seen by others and even how they see themselves. There's a... Um, a book on the fruits of the Spirit called Life on the Vine by uh, Philip Kennison. He says this, Kindness is a manifestation of love's other directedness. Kindness seems to manifest itself as a certain way of being helpful to those uh, who need help. So kindness is not doing things to help those who are in need and need help. That's just how kindness is manifested. Kindness is deeper. It's something else. Kindness is a manifestation of love's other directedness. It is an understanding that this person across from you belongs to you, that you were made in the image of the same person as brothers and sisters, as children of God, and that they belong to you. You are forever tied to them, no matter what they have done to you in your life. And God's intention is for you to awaken to that and realize that and realize the way that you have been treating the people around you who are, in fact, other children of God and to change how you view them. This change of heart is what brings about this character an emotion called kindness. So Dave, Philip Kennison here, he's speaking to both what kindness is and, and the idea of how it's manifested. In modern society, 
I assure you, is not designed to create kind people. The world in which you live right now was not designed to make you kind. It was designed to make you something else entirely. You have been formed by an empire that is turning you into consumers because they need your money. You have been turned into an empire that doesn't benefit from everyone being lifted out of poverty. The poverty industry is massive. So much money is made from the sick and the poor and the unhoused. So much money is made off of their backs. Um, we, sorry, no, there we go. Uh, but our modern society, the way it's built, it's built in a way to promote autonomy and self-sufficiency, uh, which seems wonderful. I mean, we all raise our kids to say, I mean, you can be a little more self-sufficient now. You're four, right? You can, <laughs> no. Um, but you're a little, you know, I want you to be self-sufficient. It's an American value. It's, a consider, it's considered a noble, righteous, moral, and good thing to promote autonomy, self-sufficiency. Um, it's looked down upon if you are not self-sufficient and autonomous. You're oftentimes mocked, left out to suffer. Um, and it's an obstacle to kindness. The way society is designed is it's an obstacle. It's an obvious obstacle to kindness. Um, and oftentimes, it's the enemy of kindness. What, we, what did we see, for instance, what did we see at the beginning of the pandemic? No toilet paper. Yeah. Toilet paper. All gone. Why? Did they not make enough for everybody? No, they made plenty. The amount of toilet paper in the world never changed. The amount of people collecting it changed. For some reason, it became a hot commodity. Hand sanitizer. Hard to find. Why? Because we live in a culture where you get yours first. This is how it works. What happened when the gas shortage hit last week? <laughs> People filling all kinds of random stuff they should never be filling and putting in their car with gasoline. Stuff blowing up, catching on fire, bumping, just fires, everywhere. just people really mishandling a very noxious substance. Why? Because I have to make sure I have some. Um, and this is how, like, these are op- the, the, the reason people react like this, and you can talk to people all day about, don't do this, don't do this. I put out a, a, a post at the beginning of the pandemic, and I said, I assume all of you buying guns and ammo and food are buying food to feed your neighbors when they're hungry and guns and ammo to go hunting to provide food for your neighbors later. That's the plan, right? That's the only way I can see these two things pairing together in a Christ-like way, right? Like, I actually went deep down the rabbit hole once with a, uh, about 10 years ago, there was a, a guy in a church who was talking to me about his, like, he's a prepper, right? He's got a collection of all kinds of stuff, and he's, like, really into it, survival techniques, and reads books, and collects, and writes. And so I said, hey, so, like, can we talk about this? Like, I have questions. Let's just say it happens. The scenario happens. The grid's down. The deep state succeeds. It's all over. What are we going to do? Everyone's on their own. You have food and ammunition. Your neighbors don't. They come to your door. They run out of food. They come to your door, they knock on your door. As a follower of Jesus, what are you going to do? Are you going to feed them? Are you going to give them your food? Or are you going to shoot them? <laughs> like, what do you, what's, what's the move? As a follower of Jesus, what's the move? And it was kind of just this like, well, you know, like, I, nobody wants to. But, you know, you got a, like a wife and kids and all this stuff. And I'm like, talk to me about Jesus. Do it. Just tell me how this whole thing was formed by Christ in any way. It wasn't. I can understand, like, stockpiling stuff in a Christ-like way to provide. Yes, like, that is 
90% of the time, not what we're doing. We are getting ours off the backs oftentimes of other people who will then go without. And we see it and we, we, we try to like, now it's not really what's happening, but it is. And so, kindness in a self-sufficient society becomes an extracurricular activity. It doesn't become the standard model of behavior. It becomes not the natural posture of a person. Asking for help is being a burden. I don't like to ask for help. I have been formed by the culture that asking for help is really, really hard. I can't even return my burger when they put onions on it and I don't like them. I'm, I'm fine, I'll eat it. My bad. I should have been more specific. I don't know. Um, accepting help is admitting your inadequacy. Like, your own, like, for, for, to take care of your own self. Like, accepting someone's help is looked down upon. We tell stories and brag about how we built this, we built that all by ourselves, and we speak as if God views that favorably, as if building something all by yourself is what God intends for you to do. As if, I mean, we say that we talk about being a self-made woman, a self-made man in a way that communicates that this is what, God, what we want for ourselves, but is this what God wants for you to be a self-made person? And is it even possible in God's world? The illusion of self-sufficiency is made, is made possible by, by a carefully choreographed dance of society all around you. It allows you to stand in a, in a grocery store with a cart full of things and the money to buy them all. And you stand there and you think, look what I have done. I have provided for myself. With a cart full of food that came from all over the place. People driving trucks, building roads, building the very building you're standing in. 16-year-old boys in the middle of the night stocking the shelves that you just pulled from. Cashiers waiting to check you out. And all of this, this whole choreographed machine is designed to hide from you. And all you're supposed to feel is pleasant about what you have been able to accomplish that day. Shopping is a pleasure. You never have to meet the butcher, the farmer, the gardener, the people picking your strawberries and your tomatoes. None of that matters. You are all by yourself in this world. And it's a complete illusion. If one person off this train disappears, the whole thing falls apart. It's all an illusion. You are not on your own. You are not self-sufficient. You stand in the supermarket. You make your purchase and you think that you are, but it's all an illusion. Kindness flows out of a deep appreciation of the network of humanity around you whom actually depend on you for their own livelihood and you depend on them as well. Kindness in the early church flowed from this connectedness, this feeling that like, I belong to a people. They rely on me, I rely on them. Therefore, I am present. I see their needs and I sit with them and I listen. I try to meet them because their needs, if left to run amok and grow and fester, will eventually affect not just me but everyone that I know and love. If one person is sick, we're all sick. How is that not what we've taken away from this whole thing? We have to learn to take care of each other. This, this flows from kindness. This is the heart where kindness actually flows from. They belong to you. You purchase a product which provides for them. You belong to them. Your life 
was not possible without theirs. They depend on you, you depend on them. And, and in the church is where we are actually supposed to see it. The thing that the world is hiding from us, from, from you, from everyone, the world, the, the church is supposed to display that. Um, kindness is not the same thing as good works. Goodness is something else. And good works or something else. Sometimes you will see someone in, a terrible, in terrible suffering, and what happens is in your brain, these things called mirror neurons will fire. You, you'll see someone who falls and gets hurt, and you'll go, oh, and everyone around you will go, oh, because the mirror neurons fired and let you know, like, if that was you, that would hurt. And that's your body with this evolutionary ab- adaptation telling you, you should help them, because imagine if you were there. And your body's trying to actually get you to be kind. Um, and then you pull out your phone and film it, right? Like, but your body's trying to, like, sometimes you have these thoughts. You're like, I have to do something. And then you do something, okay? That's not necessarily kindness. These are called good works. And these things are wonderful. Uh, they're beautiful. And they're Christ-like. But the idea of k- kindness as a fruit of the Spirit is different. It's a posture. It's the posture that a parent takes with a child. It's the, it's the, it's the posture that a caretaker takes with a patient. It is the posture of this person belongs to me. They, I am responsible for them, for their joy, for their happiness, and they're responsible for mine. Like, the, we, we trust each other. We're in this community and this relationship together. <clears throat> um, it's a different posture. It flows from the heart of Christ who looks at all people as his children. Um, they all belong to him. And so kindness doesn't take effort when your mind is there. It doesn't take effort at all. It doesn't even take rising above your disapproval of them. Like, it doesn't take any effort. It's a rugged commitment. This is Scott McKnight's definition of love, is a rugged commitment to someone and loving them in a, dire- in a specific direction. So, like, kindness is, is understanding that you belong to somebody, they belong to you, and it's loving them in a way that turns them into something else, that moves them forward in a whole other direction entirely. You love people into what they are supposed to be. You can't hate people into being better. When are we going to learn this? You cannot hate people into changing. You cannot. People only change when you're with them. When they see that you are different, even when they don't see it right up front, when they enter into a relationship with you, and then they find out that you don't think like them. But it's too late. You've already got them, hook, line, and sinker, and they love you. Right? Like, this is how it works. And these relationships are mutually transforming. Um, the idea of kindness. I mean, in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, let's read this. Oh, I love this passage here. Oh, where are we at? Um, God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. God treats you this way. The reason God acts this way to you is because God intends to change you. It is the kindness of God that repentance is this, is this Greek word metanoia, which means to turn around and just go the other way, to an entire change, like change of everything. The way it happens is through kindness, not through threats, not through coercion, not through violence. Um, I was watching this interview this week of this journalist, and he's in Israel, and he's going, he's walking along the border between Israel and Palestine, and he's interviewing, they wouldn't let him on the other side, so he's, he's on the Israel side, and he's interviewing soldiers and, um, and pedestrians waiting for their bus and stuff, and they can see Palestine from there, and they can see, like, rubble and, 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 and the other people, the other, they can see them. And the news reporter is putting a microphone in their face and saying, uh, what do you think of their situation? What do you think of their suffering? What do you think of uh, the children... 
who don't have water and food, whose parents are dead? What do you think of the orphans? What do you think of the widows? What do you think? And the answer consistently down the line was, I don't think of them. I don't think of them at all. And they start naming all the ways in which they've made their life hard. I don't think of them. Um, This is the fruit of what's growing in our culture, in our society. Not being able to think of the suffering people, literally that you can see, is the fruit of our society. It is not the fruits of the Spirit. It is something else entirely that is indwelling us and that is turning us into sort of these these divisive, hateful products. The fruits of self-sufficiency and autonomy, they bear specific things. We find it particularly hard to accept that we are reaping the fruits um, of autonomy right now with all the division and the pain and the suffering and the, the, the complete lack of care for each other. We find it really hard to accept that these are the fruits that we have been... This is, this is, this is the, the reaping of what we have sowed for a century. But here we are. And it is accelerating. COVID has accelerated all the things that will fall. It has accelerated all of them. All the reports coming out right now are talking about how, like, even if you just look at the church, it's devastating. 60% of Christians, evangelical Christians, say they are never going back to church again in person. They will watch online. That's called future atheism. That's what that is. Uh, 60%. 30% of pastors right now have an escape plan for when COVID's over to quit and leave the ministry altogether. 30%. This has never happened. This is just what I know about in the church. Imagine across the vast array of ways that we organize ourselves, what is coming? A friend of mine a few years ago um, walked out on his wife and two baby girls, like toddlers. And he walked out on them. He, we started calling him. We're like, what's going on? Why aren't you home? He's like, I'm halfway across the country. I got in my truck and I left. And I said, why? And he said, I'm just done. This isn't the life I want. That actually makes perfect sense in our culture. That is the fruit of self-sufficiency and autonomy. That's what it is. You can't argue against that when you've been spending 75 years arguing for that. You can't. There's no good argument for that. We hear this and we are shocked and we're stunned that someone could just shirk their responsibilities. But I mean, let me ask you some questions. What is the basis upon which we get upset when a father runs out on his family? What is the basis upon which we get upset? That the children are sad? What about the guy? (laughs) Like, he's sad. He does, he's trapped, right? Like, have we, have we not spent the last few decades teaching autonomy and self-sufficiency? Have we not just taught people to be self-governed and self-directed? Have we not, like, have we not taught them this? Why should people be tied down like that? Don't they have dreams? Don't they, I mean, aren't, aren't, aren't we being selfish by demanding that they bind themselves, have some responsibility to someone who is not them? Completely separate bodies and brains. There's no connection. These are autonomous people, Right? What do we have to say? I remember like eight years ago or so, there was a wave of like people leaving their spouses. Swept through our church as well, like four different families just torn apart. 
broken, never put back together. Each one of them, you meet with them, what's going on? It's just not what I thought it was gonna be. So I'm like, I'm, like I go to Target a lot and I take stuff back when I, don't, when I get it and I don't like it. And so I took it, I took it back, I took the marriage back. That's the idea, that's the attitude, that's the, that's the posture. We cannot unconditionally praise autonomy and then condemn people when they exercise it. You just can't do it. You can't. Much of the discipleship, much of discipleship is realizing that you have been discipled not by Christ but by the world. This is how discipleship happens, is you gathering with people and you investigating. I have, I believe this. Well, let's, perhaps you have some ideas there that are completely unexamined and formed by the culture around you that you have brought in and attached, attached to your theology and you just sprinkle Jesus on top of that. And so what we need to be doing is undiscipling ourselves from the ways of the empire. We must do this work in our souls. Um, discipleship in area, any area of your life, from money to work to sexual ethics, it requires you to first identify the ways that you have allowed yourself to be formed by the culture around you. We may very well be, be the, the ideas that, that you hold right now may actually be very hostile to what God is doing in the world around you and you don't even realize it. And so how do we cultivate kindness? How do we cultivate? If this is a fruit, this is how we talk about fruit, we cultivate it. Like, how do we cultivate kindness? I think, like, the answers for all of these, like, cultivating these different fruits is kind of the same. The answers are oftentimes, the first answer is always tell the story. Tell the story of God and Israel, God and his people. Tell the story, tell the story of the church. Tell the story of God's faithfulness from the very beginning all the way to the end and still moving forward. Even though we have been disastrous the entire time, God has never failed to meet us again. The story of God's people told over and over and over again. A people enslaved and assimilated with the cultures around them and God frees them and feeds them and slowly brings them out of the mindset of, of Egypt, out of that into a whole other way of being, which is the church, another people, a whole different people in the world that see themselves, have an identity. Um, the message of God is that we belong, not to ourselves, but to something outside of ourselves, a people who are the body of Christ. And everyone outside of that group, we also see as children of God who are not yet aware of it. We are bound to them as well. They already belong to you, whether you realize it or not. The one that is your least, the human being that is your least favorite human being in this world belongs to you. Made in the image of God, exactly the same as you. And God looks at them no different than God looks at you. You don't have any more of God's favor and love than they do. And there is nothing that you could do to cause God to love you more, or there's nothing they could do to make God cause, to cause God to love them less. You belong together. You belong to each other. That is what God is eventually doing in this world. Do you know Why? Paul says that Christians should serve each other and teach each other and encourage each other and give and be generous to each other and merciful to each other. Do you know why? It's because we belong to each other. This is what Paul says. In Christ, we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. If it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. But all of this goes back to one idea that every member belongs to everyone else. You belong to me every bit as, long, as much as I belong to you. 
And so problems must be worked out. And so disagreements must be spoken. And so emotions must be seen and understood. And these relationships must be nourished. Because we belong to each other. An act performed to a stranger with the intention of remaining a stranger to them. That might be a good work. That is not kindness. Never settle for any random act of kindness. There's no such thing. Kindness is not random. It might make you feel good about what you've done, but it demands too little of you. It re- you, you remain ignorant of the need of the person whom you have just acted upon. It's oftentimes coercive. They didn't ask to be embarrassed in this way. What they want is for you to know them, to know their problems, and they need someone to step in and talk to them about how to make them right again because they can't see it and they need you. If you can see it, that's your role. But random acts of kindness, I mean, the anonymity and the randomness of paying the coffee for someone behind you, uh, it guarantees that you never actually know them or bring them salvation of any kind. Many times these, these acts of random kindness place my ego at the center and my desire for attention at the center of the whole thing. And these things flow from a different spirit entirely. It is not the fruit of God's spirit for sure. We have to get to a place where we can move through our day and look around and for at least a second pause And bring God to your attention and look around and say, everyone here belongs to me. God is working already in every one of their lives in one way or another to bring about his ends. God is present in this room already. I might be the only physical member of the body of Christ here in this room, which makes me the manifestation of God's presence. What's God doing and how can I help? This is the posture of the Christian. At least once a day for 30 seconds, bring yourself to that mindset. And my, my hope and my goal is that this exercise will turn you into the kind of person that that is your default posture in the world as you move through your day. That you get in a conversation with somebody and you realize that thing I was heading to I don't think I'm heading there right now. I think I'm here. I think I'm staying here. And I think this person needs the presence of God with them in their life. And so I'm going to do that. I'm going to stay as long as I need to. And people are going to be texting me and calling me because the calendar and the schedule is the almighty God in this world. Well, I'm going to rip that God off of that idol. I mean, I'm going to rip that God off of that pedestal, off of that throne, And I'm going to put Jesus there and I'm going to be present with this person. I'm going to find out what their needs are. And I'm going to think about it. I'm going to come back and check on them again. And I might bring some other people with me who have some ideas. And then I'm going to offer them community. If they're lonely, maybe these people who came with me will be able to connect with them in some way. And they can enter into an entire community full of people with different skills and different ideas and different gifts and they can suddenly get activated and they can get involved in this person's life, pretty soon you have a whole other person who is then themselves spending their time out there doing this same thing. And the kingdom of God expands 
person by person by person by person. The kingdom of God will not expand and flow throughout the world through creating content and pushing it out on the stupid internet. It is not going to solve anything. The problem has never been the lack of information. It's the lack of physical presence of God's people in the lives of the people around you. And so I'm going to pray, and then I would like you guys to join me in a corporate sort of prayer of the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this place and these people. I pray that we would become the kind of people whose natural posture is kindness. Not because we're trying to be kind, not because we saw some billboard that said to be kind or we're trying to practice random acts of kindness or get people to look at us, but simply because we see others and we realize they belong to us. They are our responsibility. That God has brought, breathed life into their bones and brought them into this world and moved them to this city and then set up everything, this divine appointment at this particular grocery store at this particular time so that I could stand there with them and see them. That God orchestrated all of it. And in fact, God is orchestrating all of it all, everywhere. I pray that our posture of kindness would flow from that mindset, from that view of the world. That is our prayer, Father. Thank you. In your name, amen. Would you guys stand with me? Oh, I went too far. I went too far. My bad. I was already there and I clicked it again. All right. So we're going to pray this nice and loud, fill the room with the, the prayers of God's people, and then let's eat some food. All right, let's go. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Grace and peace, everyone. Love you all. Have the best picnic of your life.